Hi, welcome back to the Luis Hunting Strategies Podcast. I am Levi. I'm Wes. And we have another guest this week, and it's Jesse Streif again. We're having a part two with this guy. Yeah, glad to be here, guys. Yeah, glad to have you. So where, where do we leave off the last time, you think, Wes? Uh, I think we're just getting done with the butchering. We're getting in uh, more of the processing and packaging. We were, I think we ended on, you were talking about salt and how that affected the meat. And Yeah, from there. salt, I... We were running out of time last time, and I noticed myself skipping around. I'm like, oh, God, I got I to gotta talk about temperature. I didn't talk about meat temperature yet. And USDA safety standards, salt is important. There's, um, uh, I think, okay, so I listened to a little bit of the end of it this morning. I think you left off kind of around the, uh, was it the, where the bacteria is just like, yes, let's go. Like, yeah, the, 100, so. like the 135 degree range to 40 degree range, I think you said it was. Uh, yeah, so 40 degrees, I'm, I'm born and raised here, so I don't, I don't know the Celsius numbers. You'll have to convert that yourself if you do Celsius out there, but 40 degrees, 40 degrees Fahrenheit up to 130 degrees Fahrenheit is where bacteria is flourishing. That's why it's so important to, you've got a window after the animal expires you have, I can't even put a, a, a nominal time on it, but you have a window before it needs to start cooling. Um, the shorter the window, the better. But after you, you have your your deer gutted and everything, best practice, get it below 40 degrees. Um, so you've got your deer, you either take it to a locker, of course they do it, Lots, lots of people around here go to Edgewood, Dyersville, I think does a pretty good job too. Um, but if you want to do it yourself, you've got a little bit of equipment sauce. Some people buy the, the grinder, meat grinder and stuffer uh, combination, which is okay to start out. My, my opinion is that once you, once you start doing it more or uh, decide that, yep, I'm doing my own processing from now on. I'm going to make my own beer sticks and whatever. You want to get a uh, devoted stuffer. Okay. Before I forget the question, whenever you go to like, uh, let's just, let's, as an example, mm-hmm. go to Edgewood and you get their deer sticks. Why do they seem so much denser or, or put together than somebody that does it at their own house? Do you get what I'm saying? That's a, that's a, really good question there's uh, there's that's a nuanced answer there's a lot of layers there there's a lot of variables to it uh you have one the meat itself what they're adding the way you mix it so i'll explain each one as i go through it what you're adding into the meat their seasonings have like things like citric acid encapsulated citric citric acid they have different different blends of salts, different cures than what the home guy is using. So that those emulsify the meat differently. Uh, it breaks down the protein so they bind with the fats. If you're adding in pork, the amount of pork that you add in, let's just go with pork. Most people use pork that they, that they mix in with deer because the deer fat isn't as delicious. Um, people do say that beef fat adding beef fat instead of pork does 
lend a little bit more to the shelf life because it's a little bit more stable than pork fat. But uh, pork fat works great. I make, uh, I think I mentioned on the last one that we, my, my burger, I mix in around 15% bacon and with my lean deer burger. And then you just have bacon cheeseburger. And whether you make deer tacos, it's just got a kiss of bacon flavor along with it. It's got a good good fat to, to meat ratio for me. Interesting. I always wondered how they how they did that. Because, you know, I'd always get a deer stick from a buddy. And it always just seemed like the casing wasn't ever filled up, like, as perfectly as theirs. It just doesn't have that, that snap that you get from a locker. Yeah. So part, yeah. of, it, part of it is also the volume of the meat that they're doing, they have a devoted stuffer. And I, I do yeah, think a that makes meat a stuffer. A devoted meat stuffer. Yeah, I'd like that job. The, the person, yeah, the person and the the machine doing it. Um, a lot of home <laughs> butchers. So a lot of home butchers, they have a different ratio of meat to fat. They um, most guys are mixing it by hand. Some have a a mixer with paddles uh, inside meat mixer. Those are all great things. You can do it by hand. I've done a a mountain of meat by hand. But the amount that you mix it changes how much you work that meat, changes the emulsification. So in the best way I can, in layman terms, describe what is happening when you're emulsifying the meat, the more you work the meat, uh, the more warmer it gets and the more things bind together so depending on what seasonings or cures you're using that's helping emulsify too emulsified the most emulsified thing uh, to give your brain an idea would be hot dogs or bologna that's extremely emulsified meat and fat mix like where it almost comes out like a paste in yeah a it is that there is no no separation between fat and meat. It is super emulsified, very fine. And then you've got, um, on the other end of the scale, you've got a bratwurst where there's meat chunks in there. You know, where you're, you're eating it, it's ground meat, but it's still... That right there was a perfect example of what I was talking about. Yeah. That yeah, was so exactly what I was meaning. So that... The way it's cooked, the volume that they're doing at these lockers helps them too. One, they've got the seasonings pinned down really well. Of what works, the, the, the ratios of fat, the emulsification process when you're handling the meat, be it mixing or even during stuffing, it's getting worked again. They're using the freshest casings where, you know, most home guys are getting, getting their casings, maybe ordering them online which can depend on how you get them from, who you get them from. They might be fresher, or they're going to Tyson's and grabbing some off the shelf that may or may not be the freshest casings. So if you stuff them too tight, they bust. The fresher casings, you can, you have a more of a margin for error in there that you can stuff them a lot tighter. And then the smoking process, smoking or, and or cooking process, is a big part of it. You want to start out really low um, and dry dry off the outside of the meat first. So I start, when I do sticks or summer sausage, either one, 
I stuff it as tight as possible. I even have an occasional blowout because I'm I'm pushing that limit. Tighter the better. And <laughs> yeah, 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 I said it. <laughs> so, so with the casings, does it does it matter? Like, do you soak in water? Does the, the soaking process that does that help? with the expansion with the meat and stuff too it helps relax the the because col- they're collagen casings um most most uh sticks and summer sausage is a collagen product so it is it's the sticks are obviously edible casings and then summer sausage they they're even tougher they're um fibrous casings so that's the well I was going to say artificial, but they're not even artificial because they're still using animal. It's still an animal byproduct. But um, you can use, if you want to be all natural, you can use like sheepskin or sheepskin, geez, sheep intestines for the casings. Um, but, or hogs for brats, you can use their, use their intestines for casings. They're natural casings, they call them, but you're you're farther ahead in my opinion it's easier to work with the the collagen casings for sticks so these guys have the freshest because they're going through such a volume so they can stuff them tighter when you start the meat out you start it out like at 100 degrees and then you bump it up every hour walton's um, walton's incorporated they have meat meatology or you'll have to just look up Walton's meat on Google it. They have a plethora of videos and they, they do pretty dang good. They're pushing their grinders and their stuffers and their, their product, but all of their things are pretty dang good to, to get started with. Their videos are accurate. Like they break down how they do the process for the home butcher follow those you'll be you'll be starting in a really good spot and along the way some people ask me too like a lot of guys at work know that i'm a a meathead and so they're like jesse loves meat he actually has a shirt on that says you can't beat my meat that's right that's right my wife bought it for me i didn't even get this one this most most shirts like this you know guys buy for themselves because ha 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 (laughs) and your your significant other doesn't love the shirts but she bought it for me so it's her fault <laughs> um the thing is with uh where was i at now smoking smoking it Breathing temp. when you see so fault follow waltons people at work know that i'm a meathead i think that's where i left off and they're like hey how do you how do you cook this or how do you cook that or gosh you know i followed your followed your recipe for for a pork butt i was just talking to to tj actually and he did a pork butt well how mean you were talking about this last night and this reigns true for just about everything you can tell people how to do it a million different times yeah the exact same way and you're not going to get it unless you do it yourself there's a lot of little intricacies <laughs> that you don't even realize you're doing and the reason why i know those little intricacies and why i can now be so successful this so everyone knows this. If you screw up, don't give up. You might your first batch of sticks, 
they might be a little too dry or a little too loose in the casings. You overcook them, what have you. The reason why I am, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but the reason why I am able to make the finished product that I make and it turns out as good as it does is because I've screwed up so much meat. It makes me sad when I think about all the homemade bacon, the early days of me starting out where I had bacon that should have been delicious and I had it so over cured and I, you couldn't eat it. It was so damn salty. It was burning your lips because I screwed up, but I went back to the drawing board, make notes, write down what you did the first time, the whole process, and then you can adjust the next time. It's not, obviously it sucks, you know, wasting meat, but if you're going to do it yourself, you're going to make mistakes and just keep trying. So sticks, summer sausage, put in the smoker, start out low, bump it up in 10 degree increments about every hour up to my final oven temp is between 180 and 200, be it in my smoker or uh, oven, however you're cooking it. So you don't have to smoke. It's just a preferred method of a lot of people. Smoke does smoke does two things. A lot of people just think flavor. Smoke is also helping uh, stave off bacteria. But smoke is smoke causes cancer, but it cures meat. You know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I already know the answer to this question. What kind of smoker do you? I have a Pit Boss pellet grill, and I have a homemade, it's an old freezer that I turned into it's a pretty smoker. sweet. Just put some, put some aluminum shelves. If you make anything homemade, guys, stay away from, it's really easy to go to the hardware store, think you need some sheet metal because the, the door in this freezer that you've got to use was plastic, so you want to get rid of that, and you go and get some sheet metal. Do not get galvanized. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. you know. So that's some people have learned it the hard way. Other people find it on the internet as they're making their plans. But galvanized, you add heat to galvanized material, and it puts off a toxic fume that gets into your meat. And finding non-galvanized sheet metal is harder than I thought it would be around here. <laughs> um, anyway, so whatever you're using, like obviously the bigger. The bigger the, the box, the more you can fit in at one shot. And you're looking at, for sticks or summer sausage... Disconnected. Connected. I have no idea what that just was. Uh, it sounded like we're connected. But so, we're connected. Uh, <laughs> okay. I'm going to check something on my phone here. Keep going. Okay. So, start off slow, slowly heating up the meat. If you put too much heat to it, that's that's where you wind up melting melting the fat too quickly and then it it finds its way out of the casings and, and through the cooking process. Water bathing is like it's an annoying step, but it's so important. So when your meat is up to temperature, be it summer sausage or sticks is kind of what we're talking about, or even if you're smoking making some like andouille sausage cooling it it just it kind of zaps those casings it one it stops the cooking so it doesn't so you're carry. just putting it in an ice bath basically doesn't carry over yeah i use yeah. a cooler i've used a cooler um 
full of ice water and just make sure you're moving around in there too because there's a they get a thermal layer around them same thing as uh you know ice bathing or uh cold plunge is all the all the rage now if you're not moving around the heat creates a thermal barrier from the cold water so if the water's not moving it's not cooling as efficiently and and you'll be surprised i mean you can have some freaking ice cold water you throw that meat in there it finishes finished temperature that i do is around 145 to 150 some of it hangs closer to the heating element so you just gotta get it as close as possible to 150 i think um and then ice bath it stops the cooking and it zaps that casing so you got a nice tight casing on your finished product it would be at summer sausage or sticks same same principles are involved smoke you can over smoke um i know i did first when i got my i got a bradley built four four tier cabinet smoker it was my first smoker and i thought when people smoke something you're Arby's, they smoke their meats for 14 hours or whatever. <laughs> You're not actually smoking for 14 hours. No, usually your meat gets to, what is it, about 160, 165, and it just it doesn't take on any more smoke, and you're just going to make it bitter at that point, are you? Even lower, yeah, I found even lower. lower even lower temperature than that. Meat is, er, sorry, smoke is attracted to cool, moist surfaces is the... the highest attractant to them so once you're outside of your meat or your casing isn't cool it's going to slow down smoke penetration and once it's not moist it's going to slow down smoke penetration and so once the outside of your meat is has a bark built on it you're doing a pork butt brisket um, ribs whatever it is there's only so much smoke that's going to go in and you can, something like jerky that's real thin, and you have it in a wet brine marinade, it's real wet. If you dump the smoke to it too heavy, you now have creosote jerky. <laughs> I, I found this out the hard way and ruined what should have been delicious jerky. And um, But I went back to the drawing board, figured out, holy crap. Actually, I had a friend of mine who's, who's one of my most honest critics, um, almost almost painstakingly. <laughs> he, uh, I had him try the jerky, and I thought it was pretty good. I like, I like the smoke flavor, and he's like, mm, "Too much smoke for me." I'm like, what? And then the more I ate it, and the more I thought about his review, give it to you, give meat away to your friends, and tell them, "Hey, hurt my feelings." I don't. I'll you be did okay. that with me. Yeah. yeah. Just as yeah. long as it's friends constructive. And family, they're, the, they're the most. Honest people you're going to have. Yeah. As long as it's constructive, like, let people know I I want the feedback. Because some people, some people don't want the feedback. And some people ask me, hey, try this out. And I, I eat it. And I have opinions that could improve it. But I'm like, do you, you looking for feedback? And some people are like, well, not really. I think it turned out awesome. And I'm like, good enough. Great. Great. We, we want feedback. We went, like, he wants feedback. So do we. Please give us feedback. Yeah, yeah. Because if you don't know, you can't improve. Yeah. Tell, tell us if we sound stupid. <laughs> you guys sound stupid. Thanks. Uh, On a normal daily basis. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, 
you've got their sticks and summer sausage jerky covered kind of in a nutshell. Um, I just got a question for you. So, like, I knew a guy. He always did his, you know, summer sausages and sticks in the oven. Mm-hmm. Well, he would get like a 13 by 9 uh, cake pan, the, yep. the deep ones. Yeah. He would put boiling water in it because he didn't have a smoker. And then he would put liquid smoke in that boiling water to get the smoke flavor. Um, it, it worked out. I mean, if you still want the smoke flavor, it worked out a little bit. I mean, it's not the best, but you yeah. still get that little bit of that smoke flavor. You ever tried that? Or? You, I have not tried that, but I could see how the smoke flavor yeah, just through the steam and stuff diffuse and um some of it would absorb into the meat or at least get on the outside so you have a yeah it was mainly on the casing and i mean once you bit into it and the casing was gone you didn't really taste it in the meat it was just the first initial bite i guess yeah yeah and a lot of a lot of liquid smoke some people i myself previously thought that liquid smoke was not anything to do with real smoke but it is um it's like it's kind of uh, smoke mixed with water and then distilled into a liquid smoke. So you have a, a a real smoke flavor in most of them. Okay, so he said he put it in boiling water and then put it in the stove <clears throat> or oven. Sorry, I don't know. I don't. I'm not a cook by any means. I mean, I can make a mean bowl of cereal. That's about it. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, can you mix the liquid smoke when you're mixing the meat? I have, um, so that's, with liquid smoke, that's kind of your best practice it's is to mix it in. super potent. A little goes a long, long way. way. I found that out the hard it's, way. It's liquefied smoke. Basically, I mean, if you wanted to make homemade liquid smoke, the process looks something like uh, smoking wood and, and adding a lot of moisture in a, some type of uh, moisture catch where it would drip into a pan, let's say. So this super smoky water, and then you would distill it down just to purify, get any impurities out of it, and you're left with the tannins from the smoke, and smoky water is is kind of what it is, um, and then concentrated down. But it's very potent. Uh, I don't know, a tablespoon in a in a five pound batch is all you need. I found that out the hard way. I forget what I, I think it was just making some pulled pork in the oven one time and i was mm-hmm. like i was young i was like oh let's put half a bottle of it in oh, no it was gosh. not not the best oh. like you said live and learn on that it was awful mm, hot dog holly dolly that's yeah. warm <laughs> what did you just say did you just say hot dog holly dolly i heard what? it somewhere um so yeah your liquid smoke is is okay some some smoke people are snobs about it and that's you just gotta make your own decision maybe you don't have the capability of having real smoke rolling you know and that's that's okay defuse it uh maybe maybe you'll find that it's not enough so you want to mix it into the meat like play around with it that's that's the funnest part for me is trying different things with the meat coming out with different results my my bacon has been one of my the thing that I think of the most when I think of my trial and errors, um, making homemade bacon is fun and really frustrating because there's so many, so many variables to it. You have 
your smoke time, you have your curing time, you have the how much cure you're putting into your brine, whether you do dry or wet, you can you can over cure essentially, and you have to rinse your meat off when it's done. Even if you nail the curing amount perfectly, so your meat's not overly salty, you have to rinse the heck out of the outside of that meat, and then you want to smoke well or slow cook it, bring it up to about 145. So then your meat is cooked to temperature. The bacteria is killed off. It's been it's been cooked and killed, and it's been cured. Curing doesn't necessarily kill the bacteria. It inhibits the bacterial growth. So a lot of people think that, you know, something that's cured is you can dang near eat it raw, and that's not entirely true um, because it inhibits the growth of the bacteria, but it doesn't kill the bacteria. Kind of just basically just slows it down, basically lameness or maybe just makes it sleepy, I guess. A little yeah. bit, you know, sure, just, sure, yeah, you're, just just puts it to a nap. You're yeah. you're you're, uh, you're chloroforming bacteria, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you've got uh, you've got a lot of variables. What uh, what else? What other cuts do you guys? When you think of like home butchering, we we covered sticks. Seriously, YouTube is a great thing, but look out for. Anybody can make a YouTube video. Keep that in mind. So if the person sounds like they don't know what they're talking about, they might very well not know what they're talking about. They might be just getting into it and like, I should make a video. And then you have some not great information. But something like I recommend most people, like, instead of explaining the whole process, there's videos out there from Walton's Inc. that'll get you a really good good spot to start is there. And then you tweak it yourself. Come up with your own recipes like I have. Um, if I'm getting <clears throat> if I'm getting advice from somebody that cooks, it's going to sound real mean, but got to be a bigger person because if you're a real tiny, skinny little cook, you ain't eating what you're making. That's right. That's right. I've, uh, I've heard it said you should never trust a skinny cook. Well, I'm going to call BS on that one because I used to be a chef. And pretty much everyone I worked with was skinny because you run your ass off in the kitchen. That's what happened to you. Oh, uh, yeah. Well. <laughs> Rule of thumb: you can trust a fat cook. Yeah, I would say a fat home cook for sure. <laughs> the home cooks if the home cook is juicy, so are the burgers. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. So you've you've got a ton of variables. We've covered we've covered uh, summer sausage sticks, a little bit of jerky. When you're, say you're grinding, you're gonna make, you're gonna make some deer brats. You don't want to overgrind because you're gonna emulsify that meat, and it's gonna be like a gourmet hot dog. When so you're basically, done. you want to do like a one grind on it. I do uh, personally. I run it through the grinder one time with. Um, I can't say the size only because I don't know it, but it's a in between a fine screen and the, the big holes somewhere in between i run it through a one grind so you've got a a meteor bratwurst bite you know the, the bite feel is some people concentrate on the flavor or the casing or the juiciness i every time i put something in my mouth i'm thinking about the the mouth feel 
Like, does it feel like a brat? Yeah. My favorite part of the brat is definitely the medius and just that freshness will snap. Mm-hmm. That's just gets my taste buds going. So, so you're probably uh, prefer a natural casing because you yeah. get a yep. snap with I the natural agree. casing. Yep. You lose some of that. I personally, I use the collagen casings because they're just they're a little easier in handling and i haven't had any i'm not addicted to the snap so for me the natural casings are a little bit more horsing around they're uh, a little little harder to keep and the collagen casings are packaged they're dry you can you can jam a lot of them onto the stuffer tube you don't have to you don't have to soak those first you just just run them and they've they've performed well for me they take smoke in good they uh they will bust with high heat they're notorious for high heat but a lot of people think that when you're cooking a brat you can't poke the casing you're you're losing a minuscule amount and then really you're just avoiding i've got uh, well your guys's cousin he uh Every time he eats a brat or something, he gets out his pocket knife and pokes it a whole bunch because he doesn't like to, you know, burn his lips. Peaches grease. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yep. Peaches. Peaches gets out his pocket knife and pokes his pokes his brat. So I don't think uh, I don't think you're spilling enough juice to worry about my my brats never never dry out. A lot of people the end of the cooking thing here. Uh, a lot of people would boil their brats first and they boil them beer sometimes to add that beer flavor we talked about it i know after the podcast last time west yeah we talked a couple hours there the amount that the amount that a marinade or beer flavor is soaking into your meat is fairly minor but it's not nothing either uh, and the more heat that you add the more those the meat fibers open up and those big molecules that can't penetrate deep into your meat, the more heat that's involved, the deeper those will sink. So you're, you brine your meat. I use personally because of, uh, I brought it with me. My favorite, favorite book is Meathead uh, by Meathead Goldwyn. It's the science of great barbecue and grilling. There's a ton of information. That's kind of my personal bible he does he has a professor that works with him they do meat experiments they'll brine something in the same solution same same weight volume yada yada so they have accurate data when it comes out they have paper that shows shows the changes pink when it's exposed to salt sodium chloride so when you brine something, they would shave it off after the brine, shave off a, a slice, set it on the paper, and they've got, let's say, an eighth-inch penetration is all the deeper that brine went. Mostly what your brine is doing anyways, and I highly recommend, especially like uh, lean meat, like chicken, deer, super lean, most of your meat that's going to dry out is the surface anyways. That's what needs the most help or protection. When you salt something, be in a liquid brine, I feel like I should explain brining and curing 
there's wet curing, dry curing, and then there's wet brining and dry brining. There's a big difference in the salt that you're using. So it's all sodium is, is why it's curing salts or it's table salt. It's all sodium. Table salt, the chemical is sodium chloride, which sounds like, what the hell? You're putting sodium chloride in your meat. <laughs> but that's the chemical name for table salt, sodium chloride. And that goes with your, your pink Himalayan salt. It's all sodium chloride. Your curing salts are sodium nitrates and nitrites. Nitrates is a slower curing salt, something like your hams and things like that. You're going to use sodium nitrates. And don't horse around with this stuff, people, because know, have a good idea, research what you're doing, the levels that you're using it, because there can be, it can be adverse to your health either way, whether it's not cured enough. You're, you're, look up the EQ method before you get going. Um, they have charts and stuff on the internet. Look up the EQ method. They have charts where you put in the weight of your meat and they tell you the, the time and the amount of salt or curing salt that you need for that chunk of meat. And then you won't over-cure something. So nitrates, nitrites is the quick stuff. That's for your pink salts are... They color it pink because you don't want to use it at the table. It's just a whole lot more potent than sodium chloride table salt. I use kosher salt for pretty much everything just because it's a lot larger flake. But you're using, you would use the same amount volume, you use the same amount. Um, a half cup of kosher salt because it's bigger flakes, because it, it uh, takes up more space half cup of kosher salt is equal to about one cup of table salt. So when you're looking at a recipe, especially a meathead's book, I was telling you guys, there's a lot of reviews of people like, oh my God, this is too salty. Well, he preaches and loves kosher salt because you can see the bigger flakes. And then people, you know, buy the book, follow the recipe and use their table salt. Well, they just use twice as much salt as they should have. And so they're like, God, the recipes are crap. They're so salty. Same, same goes for, for a lot of things. Um, if, you, if you're using salt, it's only penetrating so far, then you're adding heat, and it actually uh, keeps sinking in deeper. The outside of the meat's not drying off the same. It's denaturing the muscle fibers. So when the salt gets into the meat, the muscle fibers, I showed you after the podcast, Wes, with a, with a, with a dish towel, or dish rag, if you take that, get it wet, and wring it out long ways, twist it real nice and neat, you're going to get all the water out, yeah? But if you just take it and clump it up in your hands and try and squeeze out the water, there's a lot of moisture still left in that rag. You can only wring so much out. So when you're putting salt with the meat, there's a chemical reaction happening inside of that meat that... It's denaturing the muscle fibers. So heat also denatures them, but getting them started denatured, it basically breaks down instead of a neat, nice bundle of muscle, uh, each muscle strand or muscle fiber. Once you add heat, 
those muscle fibers contract and you can wring out or squeeze out more juice more efficiently that way than if it's denatured by salt that muscle fiber is broken into a kind of a mangled little muscle fiber so when the heat gets added to the equation it's not squeezing the juices out of that meat as efficiently so i think <clears throat> i think me and you had a conversation one time about adding salt to your burgers and the way you do it yeah salt on top not mixed in salt is works as an emulsifier so the beauty of a good burger a lot of people think you use a higher fat content burger and then you have a juicier burger and there's there's a there's a balancing point somewhere in there you do want you do want not super lean burger yeah but when you mix salt in and you're working the meat by mixing it around the salt and you mixing the heck out of it in a bowl or whatever before you patty it you're taking away all the little air pockets in that burger that's where all the juice gets held in so the more bound together that meat and fat is because of the salt and because of you miss mixing the less air pockets the less juicy burger you're going to have I found doing that too. Because I used to do that, and then I found I would add salt. I sometimes add too much, mixing it, and then it seems like your burgers fall apart a lot easier too when you're flipping them or just cooking them in general. Mm -hmm. Big chunks are breaking off or whatever. Right, yep. Yeah. Um, Mix, if you, I mean, I I myself like to to try different, different spices and things. My basic burger... My regular process is I put the burger in a bowl and I put in onion powder, garlic powder, and pepper in equal parts. Mix it up lightly. It's going to mix as you're separating chunks out to patty it. So, like, don't don't worry about the seasoning being super distributed. Just mix it, mix it with some caution. You don't want to overwork that meat. Your hands are warm, so you're warming the meat, too, while you're doing it. Warmer meat emulsifies faster. So keep keep the salt out of the middle. Get the seasonings, plain seasonings, mixed in. And then sprinkle a little salt on top while you're cooking. Right? I'm not saying don't salt your burgers, because salt is salt an amazing thing. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> totally, totally use salt. I use a, I like to use Lari's a lot on the top. Lari's is delicious. Right? Yes, it is. Yep. My, my favorite salt, just for like steaks and stuff, it's called Maldon. It's kind of like, almost like kosher salt, but it's just, it's like a finishing salt for like steaks. You slice them up, nice, however you like it. You put a little bit of Maldon on there, it's big chunks, and it just really, really makes that flavor pop. Yep. Yeah, so use salt, just keep it, keep it on the outside. Of burgers whole muscle cuts your steak or whatever even even a steak a lot of a lot of people like to salt them ahead of time because that salt has more time to penetrate deeper and that's that's a wonderful thing to do too if I'm doing a pork butt brisket uh, a whole 
deer shoulder to, to stick with the, the wild game side of things here. You cook like a whole deer shoulder, it's delicious. And that you cook a lot like, um, because it's a, a fast twitch muscle, it cooks a lot like a brisket would or a pork butt. Those, those cuts cooked fast and, and to a minimal temperature are garbage because yeah. there's so much connective tissue. A lot and of tendons and all that. Mm-hmm. Yep. But there's a beautiful thing getting into temperature. There's a beautiful thing that's happening there. Your bacteria danger zone, we'll call it, is from 40 degrees to 130. 130 is the point where bacteria starts to die off. The USDA minimums are set for a 70 kill rate, and they're also set for mass consumption because some people are stupid. Point point yep. blank, no, no pulling punches. Yep. Some people are dumb, and they're going to get themselves sick. So the USDA knows Bingo. that. Yeah. So the USDA knows that, you know, the, the general public has a tendency to be uninformed. So they they make these minimal temperature charts are the numbers are set for a 7D kill rate, which is at, let's go with 165 for chicken, burgers, whatever. At 165 is well done. And that's the USDA minimum because you have less than one part per 10 million and bacteria that can survive at that temperature. And time is another variable in that equation. But depending on the temperature you're cooking, depending on how close your thermometer is in accuracy, there's too many variables. So the USDA sets it so that at 160 or 165, you're achieving their 70 kill rate, less than one part per 10 million bacteria survival rate, you're achieving that in about seven seconds. So basically instantaneously, bacteria is nil. You can achieve a 7D kill rate if you know the rules. You can achieve it at 135 because that bacteria, like I said, starts dying off at 130. It just dies off slower. That's why sous vide is a really cool thing. Um, for those that don't know, you, you put a thing into the water. It brings up the temperature of that water. Your meat is in a bag, and it can set at 135 for, I think the I think the time on that is around, don't quote me because I don't have paper in front of me that says the numbers, but I think it's around two to three hours yep. at yeah, 135. So. That bacteria, you still achieve a 70 kill rate, but the meat has to stay at 135 internal temperature for two to three hours. You have one of those? What's the, the sous vide? Yeah. I've got an Instapot that has a sous vide setting. So I've done a few steaks that way. Kind of, I wind up just grilling them because it's a little more horsing around than I roll the dice. Anytime you're going under the USDA minimum, if you don't know the time, you don't know the, the rules of killing that bacteria, you're rolling the dice. So like I said on the last one, if you you decide that you want to cook steak to 135 medium rare and have, in my opinion, the best tasting, the most absolutely yeah right, 
you are rolling the dice. You're rolling the dice less on whole muscle cuts because the bacteria is only on the surface. Most of the bacteria that it's been exposed to is on the surface, whereas ground meat, you've introduced all kinds of surface area in intermingled into the mix inside of that meat. So that's why the, the number's higher. USDA minimum is you, higher on ground muscle because the bacteria is all throughout it. You want to hear something gross? My, uh, my mom said that I, th- I think it was her uncle. So my great uncle Gerald mm-hmm. used to grab a tube of ground beef yeah. with wrist crackers and he would eat it raw. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of old guys doing that. My father-in-law, has, he's known it to be called raw dog. And it's, I know something else is called it's called that. Exactly. <laughs> and it's pretty freaking hilarious because I don't think that he... Going raw dogging tonight, boys. No, I don't think he thinks about it, but uh, we were we were at the house and talking and he says, Hey, you ever, you ever, you ever, you ever had raw, raw dog? dog? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well... That's your daughter, but uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't okay. think you really okay. want me to talk about that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, raw dog. It's so depending upon how your meat's been handled, right? There's, you're, but you're rolling the dice with raw dog. There's uh, one in, more than one way too, guys. Yeah, but uh, there's raw a lot, a lot a of kind of speaking of eating raw meat. Uh, there are some restaurants that it's. Sorry guys, we'll we'll, we'll really we're back here. Tartar. Beef tartar is one of my favorite things. Mm-hmm. I haven't found it in a restaurant yet around here, but man, it's so, so just mouth watering. Yeah, couldn't tartar, get me to try it. The no. the risk of tartar is minimized. It's raw. Yep. But it's minimized by citric acid. Yep. Yep. So the citric acid is uh if people don't know that one of the best things you can use for cleaning the most uh, natural we'll say is lemon juice is naturally murders bacteria it's a really great antibacterial thing lemon so they put lemon juice or lime juice they have that citric acid on the surface of the meat so it's effectively killing the bacteria that could and probably is present on the surface of that steak tartar i mean i'll eat like tuna or salmon or something like that raw but yeah basically basically the same thing a lot of guys too they'll add just a touch of soy sauce the salt helps Mm -hmm. kill off the bacteria as well Mm -hmm. yeah inhibits its growth yeah yep the citric acid kills it uh heat will kill it but the salt is just slowing it's just chloroforming right yep Yep. (laughs) it's not multiplying right gave it a little rupee yeah so, um, those those cuts those cuts that benefit from a long long slow cook. Uh, we talked about the temperature for bacteria growth forty degrees to one thirty. Beyond that, on a let's go with pork butt because I think it's the most forgiving and best place to start when you're doing these things when you're going to start doing barbecue. We'll call it around one. 60 160 internal temp up to around 203 is where all the i call it the magic zone that's where Absolutely. all the collagen and, and fibers are breaking down and it's turning into gelatin 
So that's why a brisket or a pork butt gets so fall apart, tender, juicy, or a chuck roast too on a beef. Same thing. That muscle is tough as hell. No bueno if you just cook it to 135. Ain't worth a heck. But when you cook it low and slow, all those things have time through that magic temperature zone. You're giving it time for everything to break down and slowly melt. You get it to that zone too fast, if you run it up to 203 real fast, it's still going through the magic zone, but it's got such a short window that a lot of, one, the meat is contracting and it's sort of freezing that that collagen and those, those uh, connective tissue. It's like freezing it so it doesn't melt the same if you heat it too fast. That's it why low and slow. Time yeah, it doesn't have time to relax the meat or the or the connective tissue. It doesn't have time to relax. So you're giving it time on the way up to 203. My personal trick with, I don't use it so much with pork butt because pork butt is so forgiving anyways. But like with the brisket, I will wrap it up, get, get it to 203. It's pretty dang tender already. You wrap it up, put it in your cooler and let it fall back through that magic zone in reverse. And it gives all those little little bitty nooks and crannies of connective tissue that maybe didn't have time to completely melt into gelatin yet. You let it fall back through that zone super slow, and then you have it, it, the most tender and juicy that that cut of meat is capable of being. There's no... There's no making it any more tender. Once you go through that zone um, and let those connective tissues break down on the way up and then falling back down, wrapped up in foil inside of a cooler. The only thing is a lot of people like the bark. When you wrap it up, you're going to lose your bark. It's going to soften your bark. So it's a give and take. I personally think it's worth it. Um, I use I use heat salt are the, are the biggest things in the equation heat salt time once you once you figure it out i i started out i had a, a log a meat smoking log the ambient temperature of your smoker the internal temp of the meat uh, when it goes on some people like to to put your steak out and let it get up to room temperature i myself don't practice that because it's not benefiting me enough to let my steak sit out and come up. Oh, and you're not saving time at all either. I actually watched a video on that. Who the hell's video was that on YouTube? Anybody's. There's probably Basically, they pointed out that there's no point in putting them back to room temperature. There's not not a point. Like I understand the principle of it is that your meat is already, let's just go with 70 degrees. Instead of coming out of the fridge at 36, 38 degrees, and then having to heat, the outside of the meat is taking the brunt of the heat. And the way heat transfers, the outside of the meat is essentially what's cooking the inside of the meat. So the higher the internal temp is to start out, the less heat that you have to expose the outside to. But what he was saying in the video is like that 30 degree difference, mm-hmm. 40 degree difference, whatever it was, pretty minimal, took 
quite a long time. It took multiple hours. Yeah, two and three then, hours at least. And then he said, you're really not making a difference. Not enough. And, that, and, and that, you're letting it sit in the danger zone. Yes. So bacteria is flourishing. Why? It's not, you know, with with everything, when you're not cooking things well done, there's no gamble to well done. They, the well done temperature takes away any gamble. Anytime you go under that temperature, you're gambling. And you can gamble smart or you can gamble dumb. If you eat your steak well done, you, you just, you don't need to eat your steak. Interesting thing, and I, it's not like, um, I'll call it a fun fact, but it, it bugs me a little bit. Well done meat is more bioavailable, meaning your body can actually extract the nutrients from it mm-hmm. better from a well done steak. Basically, medium, medium rare, or just rare, it's just mouth pleasure is all that is. Yeah, and, you're, and you're getting you're, yeah. your body's absorbing some nutrients from it, yeah. but your body can absorb and extract the nutrients from that meat when it's well done. I'd, pre- I'd, I'd say I'd prefer like a, a medium done steak because I think the flavor's better. I don't think when I eat it when I'm sitting there eating a rare steak, it's just I don't know how to explain it. it just doesn't have the flavor for me. It doesn't go all the way through. I don't think the the meat flavor. The a lot of people like a for eating anyways, the younger, younger dough, um, younger, yep. the better. And that's true in the way of tenderness, but actual meat flavor, like a 20 year old cow, that meat's going to be tougher. No question about it. It's going to be tougher than a two year old fat steer or a two year old fat dough versus a six year old fat dough. It's going to be more tender the younger it is. But what you're, if you're a connoisseur of sorts and you really are thinking about the taste of the meat, an older animal is going to have a richer flavor of meat. And then, so there's a there's a, a balancing point there too. You can you can make things tender. I mean, an old cow ground into burger, you've got really freaking delicious burger and it's been ground so you're not worried about tenderness a burger doesn't you can't tell the the toughness of a burger right it's all ground and broken apart what you're gonna do is dry it out Mm -hmm. yeah so there's there's so much to it i gotta say i feel like so we're hitting up close to the hour mark all right i gotta say there's still so much more that we can cover with what we're doing right here there's, like, there's a ton of information out there. Look out for that information, though, because some of it is people that don't know. Um, I highly, highly, highly recommend the science of grilling and science of great barbecue and grilling meathead. Uh, look it up on Amazon. What's that other book? The other book is, uh, in some ways, a bit more technical. It's The Science of Good Cooking. I think it's by America's Test Kitchen. Cooks Illustrated, America's Test Kitchen, The Science of Good Cooking. And that'll break down things like eggs, too, not just meat. Um, so it has a lot of the same information. The Meathead book is, is all about meat. But the, the Science of Good Cooking from Cooks Illustrated, it tells you, tells you things about eggs. Um, 
you know, soft boiled, hard boiled, what's happening inside of the egg. It, it breaks down the science. For me, I always, I've always been interested in, I'm no scientist, but I've always been interested in the, the why. I need to know why, like some people are like brisket or pork butt. You cook it to 203 degrees, way past well done. That's how it's most tender. And that's, that's true and that's fine. I can't just stop there. I have to know why. What's why is it more tender? Why are you cooking it past well done? Why is it actually better on those those muscle groups to cook to two oh three? So that's where that's where I read and find a lot of that information out. There's there's so many myths out there and, and wives tales or husbands tales. Wives were the original pitmasters. Um so women women out there, you know, seems like it's a, a lot of times it's a guy's world but women are the original pitmasters ogs oh, yep they're original grannies the back in the hunter gatherer days men men brought home the kill typically the women were the ones that cooked it over the fire or whatever all right well i don't want to cut you off here jesse run it out but, of time uh, yeah we've only got like three minutes left on the on the for the hour so yep. uh yep read up read up um, find good sources for it. That's all I can, that's the best I can suggest and keep on trying, like screw it up and improve on it the next time. I say maybe in the future too, we'll have to do a, another episode and maybe just, uh, we can banter back and forth about since we kind of got the breaking down of everything, maybe share some of our favorite recipes and stuff like that too. And how we cook them, how yeah. we it. as much back and forth as I allow it. I'm, I don't know if anybody knows this about me, but I'm a little talkative. (laughs) I think they found that out. Um, So we'll do another episode, but we're going to wait a little while down the road. We're going to wait. Let's, let's wait till after. I'm I'm going to say after a lot of other material. Yeah. We got, we got a lot of, well, we got bow hunt coming up, duck hunting coming up. We've got a lot of things coming up. And uh, I think our next episode going to try to have another guest. And, uh, she, uh, what did she say she is? She is a, oh, she says she's an Iowa program coordinator with the youth program to get kids out hunting. So we might actually bring her on and talk about the very basic necessities of what you need to get going. Yeah. Teach so, your kids. Yeah. Teach the kids. But we're going to get done here because we got almost a minute left. Thank you for coming, Streif. I appreciate, appreciate you guys having me on. I've, I've really, really enjoyed it. Appreciate it. We'll have you back on, man. And as always, stay safe and know the outdoors. Enjoy the hunt.